Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. Is this the big one? The bombshell revelation that President Trump reportedly pressed the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden's son, urging him repeatedly to team up with his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to get dirt about a largely debunked Republican conspiracy theory is putting outside outsized pressure on House Democrats to, quote unquote, do something. And that something, of course, is impeachment. Here are just a few of the exasperated calls for congressional Democrats to finally pull the trigger on impeachment. Attorneys George Conway and Neil Kotchel in a Washington Post column. It is high time for Congress to do its duty. In Slate, Democrats who are in an impeachment holding pattern need to act. In The Atlantic, if this isn't impeachable, nothing is. And presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, by failing to act, Congress is complicit in Trump's latest attempt to solicit foreign interference to aid him in U.S. elections. Do your constitutional duty and impeach the president. Presidential candidates Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Beto O'Rourke, all making similar calls. Now, if this all feels familiar, it is. We've been here before. With every stomach-churning, jaw-dropping, unprecedented new low by this administration, the drumbeat for impeachment grows louder and louder, but nothing happens. And for all the urgency among Democrats, nearly two-thirds of House Democrats now favor impeachment or at least opening up an official inquiry Public support has barely budged, fluctuating between 35 and 38 percent since the Mueller report was released. So is this the straw that breaks Congress's back? I'll discuss that with a Democratic lawmaker in just a minute. But first, you need to know how we got here. Okay, here's the timeline of events as we know them. In 2014, the U.S. and European Union, including then-Vice President Joe Biden began urging Ukraine's new president to clean up its corruption corruption, so that new investment into that country would be more attractive. Ukraine's prosecutor general had been investigating a Ukrainian energy company where Joe Biden's son Hunter sat on the board. That prosecutor general was eventually ousted, leading some to wonder if the two things were related. Now, one possible hole in that theory, the ousted prosecutor general's successor also took a hard look at the energy company and closed the case in October of 2017, never uncovered any wrongdoing by the Bidens. Now, here's the deal. You can choose not to believe the findings of the Ukrainian investigation. You can even suspect there might have been more to this. But the president of the United States cannot urge another government to keep digging into the business connections of his political opponent's family in front of an election while, I don't know, threatening implicitly or explicitly to withhold $250 million in military aid. That is what reports are alleging President Trump did on a July 25th phone call with President Zelensky. Now, Trump is denying any wrongdoing, saying the call was perfectly fine, 
routine, even beautiful, while also telling reporters yesterday, well, someone ought to look into Joe Biden. And that's exactly what the president's attorney said he did. Did you t- ask the Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden? No, actually, I didn't. The and only thing I asked about Joe Biden is to get to the bottom of how it was that Lutsenko, who was appointed, right. dismissed the case against Antak. So you did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. Okay, so what did Trump do exactly? Is it illegal? Is it even impeachable? I'm joined now by former FBI special agent, author of the new book, Crossfire Hurricane, Inside Donald Trump's War on the FBI, Josh Campbell. Okay, so Josh, the investigation into the Ukrainian energy company was conducted and closed, and Trump still urged the Ukrainian president, allegedly, to find something on Biden. Is that in and of itself illegal? Well, the question comes down to, was this uh, the president trying to get information from a foreign government or getting a foreign government to help with the election? Because you have to step back and look at this. This isn't any ordinary citizen. This is his potential political opponent, someone who might be on the ticket running against him. And if he is getting a thing of value, quote unquote, which would include dirt from a foreign government, that is illegal. The problem here is, and this isn't going to comfort anyone, but looking at the Mueller investigation, the judge Justice Department currently holds that you cannot indict a sitting president. So even if it's a crime under the law, it's not going to impact this president, which means it's squarely within the the bounds of Congress to determine whether or not they are going to impeach him over this. So it's Trump Tower all over again, essentially. So even even if we had proof that the president was attaching this military aid to finding this, if we had proof of that, that's still not... No, I don't think so. And again, that's going to frustrate a lot of people. But looking at the Justice Department and how they handled the Mueller investigation, the president could, can essentially do whatever he wants and they will not go after him legally. Uh, again, the question is yet to be seen. What will House Democrats do? Uh, will they actually, you know, there have right. been so many names to uh, describe what they're doing, a, a review, uh, impeachment light. You know, we don't really know. They're yeah. not coming out and saying it forcefully. But again, they are the only body that can do something about this and whether we sit here for two more years of investigation uh, or whether they actually get a move on it and try to unearth this information, dislodge from the intelligence community what troubled this whistleblower yeah. so much to report it, uh, that, that question is yet to be answered, how forceful they're going to be. So what, you would know this, what's happening at the FBI right now? Because like you and me, we watched Rudy Giuliani on television basically admit, yes, he asked Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden. Does someone at the FBI say, oh, I might look I might look into that? It is such a great question. And inside the FBI, public corruption investigations can begin with a media report. If an FBI agent looks at a newspaper or on our air and television watches and sees Chris something, watch, watches Chris <laughs> yeah. Cuomo and the president's attorney saying that he is conspiring with a foreign government, they can launch an investigation. And that's why I think it's so important to kind of divorce the two. There's the investigation itself, which is done by the FBI, the prosecution, which is done by the Department of Justice. The FBI isn't going to say, well, we can't indict a president, so we're not even going to look. They are going to move aggressively to figure out Mm. what exactly the there there is. And we have to also remember Rudy Giuliani is a private citizen. He has no privilege here as it relates to the Justice Department's view on a sitting president. And so he could be fair game for investigation. That is the lingering question. Are there FBI agents right now who are staring at these facts and determining that this is something that warrants an investigation? And if the answer to that is yes, I suspect, and I write about this in the book, we are going to see a full-on assault campaign against these institutions once Once again, 2.0, going after a president. I want to ask you about the book, but first, um, there's this parallel, maybe related storyline involving a whistleblower Mm. complaint. 
We don't know what's in the complaint. Some reports allege it has to do with Ukraine. Mm. I, I, I guess we'll find out, hopefully, at some point. Um, DNI is withholding the complaint from Congress. Congress, meanwhile, is saying, we'll protect you mm. if you give us the information. Can they do that? They can indeed. And in fact, under the law, the DNI has to provide that information on a whistleblower that meets a certain threshold of severity that has to be provided. It's not an option, but what we're seeing is obstruction and blocking by the executive branch to get that information to Congress. Now, if that information does get to Congress, you know, and I say this and some people might laugh because Congress seems to leak like a sieve. Yeah. Uh, but I know having worked in the FBI, having been part of information that was briefed to them, the intelligence community specifically, that information rarely leaks the intelligence mm -hmm. community uh, committee. Other committees are a different story, mm. uh, but there's information that gets to them, and that's what they're asking for. Let us know what this whistleblower was saying, what made this person so alarmed that they decided to come forward, and let us investigate it. Um, your book, Crossfire Hurricane, um, Inside Donald Trump's War on the FBI, explores um, how Trump has undermined law enforcement, undermined intelligence uh, to shape those institutions sort of in his image to mm. protect and serve him. How damaging will that be, not just today, uh, when you've got people trying to spin this story as a deep state, you know, affair, but into the future? You know, uh, politics, obviously, it's a dirty business sometimes. When you get into elections, people attack each other all the time. There are winners and there are losers. The problem that we saw, and I write about in the book with the president's campaign of attack against the FBI, is that he is trying to undermine and destroy credibility in an institution that was investigating him. Now, I write that this will have real consequences to public safety because if the American people don't believe the FBI, don't believe these agencies that are charged with countering these threats, then we are all less safe. But nevertheless, the president continues. We saw today... He He's already labeled this the Ukraine witch hunt. And right. his allies are saying that this whistleblower is a partisan deep state operative, which is the same language we saw in the Mueller investigation. And it has the same result, trying to convince the public that these agencies are corrupt, when those of us who know how they operate understand that that's just nonsense. And very quickly, this book is attached to a cause. Yes. Uh, so half of my proceeds from this book are going to something that is not uh, controversial. Everything we just talked about is a little controversial. Uh, what I try to do is, is spotlight this fund in particular. Since 9-11, there are FBI agents that continue to die from illnesses that are now manifesting. Uh, and the FBI Agents Association has a fund that cares for the children uh, of fallen great. agents and sends them to college. So half of my proceeds go to that fund. And, you know, that way, you know, the, the reader, whether you agree with the book, whether you disagree with the book, whether you decide not to buy the book, yeah. know that That's fund great. is out there. You can do good. To help well, thanks so much, Josh Campbell. Thanks, thanks for coming. And Thank you. Uh, everyone, look out for the book. So what happens next? Does this strengthen the case for impeachment? Well, many Democrats think so. We need to absolutely right away begin impeachment proceedings. He's got to go. There is no way to defend the lack of progress on impeachment, especially after what we have just learned about this president. If ever there were a time to impeach and hold the president accountable, it is now. It's a mistake not to impeach this president. Depending on what the, what the House finds, he could be impeached, but I'm not making that judgment now. The House should investigate it. Well, the bodies are indeed piling up for Trump with countless controversies and political casualties in his two-plus years in office. But there's still some hesitancy on the part of Democrats, notably House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who earlier this week warned House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler that Democrats didn't have the votes. Nadler also indicated earlier this week that while he personally supports impeachment, it doesn't yet have the will of the American people. All that, though, was before all this, the Ukraine news. Will this tip the scales? Let's ask Congressman Ro Khanna, a member of the House Oversight Committee. 
Now, uh, Congressman, the Oversight Committee is investigating that temporary withholding of Ukraine's military aid. Where does that investigation stand? Well, we had sent a letter two weeks ago. The State Department has refused to give us the documents. The Justice Department and the White House have been stonewalling. We have asked for a transcript of the president's call uh, with uh, President Zelensky. We've asked who all was participating in the call. Uh, and I've been talking to colleagues on the committee. The committee is going to do something very big early next week if we don't get the documents that we've asked for. What is that? What, what do you mean something very big? Well, I, I, I don't want to go into the details of that. Let me just say that we're going to take very aggressive action. Uh, it could be uh, anything from subpoenaing people who uh -huh. uh, were possibly involved the call uh, to doing everything possible to get the documents that we believe that we're uh, owed. Um, so is what Trump is alleged to have said on the phone call, is that bribery in your mind and therefore a clearly impeachable offense? Well, it's clearly uh, an abuse of presidential power. Uh, you can't uh, bully a foreign power to try to undermine your political rival. So if there is any evidence of that, it's a complete abuse of power. But is uh, it a high crime or, or a misdemeanor in your mind? Yes, uh, if, there was, if there is proof of that, it, it is. It's an abuse of power that would justify impeachment. Uh, I, I can't think of a worse uh, offense than trying to get a foreign power to interfere in an election and bully uh, your political rival or undermine your political rival. Um, Jerry Nadler believes Congress needs the support of the American public before moving to impeach. Do you? I believe we have to do our constitutional duty. We are in impeachment proceedings. We are collecting the evidence. The impeachment is expanding. I will say this. Uh, the Speaker uh, and Jerry Nadler have to get the votes in Congress. And so mm. uh, while they want to proceed, they have a tougher task than some of the yeah. presidential candidates. I mean, they actually have to get to 218 votes. Uh, and I think they're being deliberate so that when mm. they do bring it, uh, they have the votes. You know, I want to ask you about be that, being deliberate, because every day I read about the quote-unquote tensions between Pelosi and Nadler, that they're squabbling. You know, I don't buy it. I don't think anything happens in the House without Pelosi's direct sanctioning. sanctioning. So am I really to believe that Nadler's gone rogue against Pelosi, or isn't he doing exactly what she wants him to do to satisfy Democrats who want impeachment while she, you know, sort of um, steps on the brakes a little. Well, thank you, Essie, for pointing that out, because uh, you're absolutely right. Nothing happens in the House of Representatives without so. Speaker Pelosi's green light. And <laughs> right. if she didn't want uh, Jerry Nadler to start impeachment proceedings, uh, Jerry Nadler wouldn't be starting impeachment That's proceedings. That's what I thought. So, so, you know, they are on the same page. They're proceeding. But the, the reality is this. Look, I've come out for impeachment. I know a lot of the right. presidential candidates. Have, we don't have to get the 218 votes. If the Speaker brings it, and if it fails, because we don't have the the votes, that's a problem. So what she's doing is trying to build the evidence, build the case. I don't think it's as much about the public or polling. It's about making sure that we can make the case with colleagues and more and more people are coming on board. And I think this, this incident with Ukraine may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, we will see for sure. And we'll have you back to discuss. Um, either way, Congressman Rokana, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, the president and his supporters are already trying to spin the narrative on this pretty alarming story by, you guessed it, blaming the media. It's worked before. Will it work this time? And the president's unique ability to spin conspiracies into gold may be a legitimate problem for Joe Biden, whether he likes that or not.
All that and more coming up. To put it kindly, the New York Times is having a rough year. There have been a, con- a number of controversial and regrettable flubs earlier this year publishing an anti-Semitic cartoon in its international edition. A columnist's questionable response to a professor who called him a bedbug. Caving to Twitter mobs to change headlines or add more opinion to their news coverage. Then there was the botched Brett Kavanaugh story. None of these things represent the Times entirely or all the excellent journalists and editors that they employ, but they're also not helping. Okay, with me now is CNN's chief media correspondent, Brian Stelter. Brian, I'm not really interested in beating up on the Times gratuitously, uh, but for the paper of record, it does seem like there's been a rash of bad headlines. You always need editors. You need strong editors who are able to see when something's going to embarrass you and your news organization. And it seems like in many of these cases, that's what's been missed. That's right. Both on the web and in print, (laughs) I think sometimes what's happened here is you have this sprawling news organization, not unlike CNN, made up of thousands of people, and once in a while, there's a bad headline, a bad banner. In the case of the New York Times, these errors are magnified. Yes. And these errors ma- matter even more because it is the paper of record. It's a place that I worked for more than six years. They put out hundreds of great stories a day. But when there are mistakes made, those yes. mistakes are amplified. And they do damage more broadly than just the New York Times. Because then uh, politicians <coughs> like President Trump can use it as ammunition against the media as a whole. So what yeah. I hope is happening at the Times and what I think is happening is, is that kind of conversation about where are the checks and balances, the multiple layers of editing that everybody needs. Everybody needs a good editor. Well, and I don't talk about the New York Times as a, as a partisan, as a conservative. I, I talk as someone who also used to work right. there and, and, and wants them to do well for the sake of all of journalism. Um, our colleague Oliver Darcy wrote in particular about the flubs by the opinion section. That's where there's to been a lot point. lately. Yeah. yeah, and to your point, um, and there's been more than what we just um, outlined o- over there. James Bennett became the opinion editor in 2016. Do you think he has some responsibility for these flubs? He does. It is his responsibility. Uh, I recently asked him for an interview, so did Oliver. He declined. Mm. I wish he would talk about these issues. The one time I have talked to him this year, he said, look, we're putting out incredible work every day. You can't judge us based on these mistakes. Of course. Uh, however, these mistakes do add up, and they do yeah. make people wonder about the paper. And I think in this Twitter age we all live in, and we might hate it, we might love it, it is the age we live in. Uh, individual screw-ups and embarrassments uh, are something that are taken and blown up out of proportion. Yeah. And you have to know that, and you have to you have to react accordingly. Brett Stevens has been criticized, rightly so, for overreacting to yes. his, to, to a social media commentary about him. He's the guy that got pissed off that he was called a bedbug. Yes, you've gotta if you are a columnist in the New York Times, be able to tune out some of that noise. Yeah. That's what your readers deserve. That's right. what your readers are expecting. Um, I bring this all up also to make a point specifically about the president. Yesterday at a press gaggle, yeah. uh, Trump blamed the media for the whistleblower story, saying. Quote, everybody's read it. They laughed at it. It's another media disaster. And the media has lost so much credibility in this country. Now, a couple of things. Virtually no one has read it uh, because it's not even been made public or, or, or given to Congress. Right. For another, it's unclear what he means by a media disaster. We didn't invent his phone call with the Ukrainian president, uh, not to mention his own attorney went on the media <laughs> with our own Chris Cuomo to corroborate the story. But are mistakes in the media help feed his narrative? He has spent the last three years tearing down the press 
for this moment, yes. for moments like this, yes. not just for this moment, but for moments like this, where there is a damning story mm-hmm. with possible criminal conduct. He is trying to destroy the reputation of the press for moments like this. But yes, it is true. Mistakes do help him do that. I would just point out to the audience at home, there are hundreds of stories produced by the New York Times every day and the Washington Post every day and CNN every day. And when mistakes are made, look, I made a mistake last week in my newsletter and I was mortified. And over there, my editor sits behind us and we had a really tense conversation about my screw up and I learned from it. Mm -hmm. And that's how these places really do work. That's how newsrooms work every day. You make mistakes and you learn from them. President Trump doesn't buy into that. Mm -hmm. He just uses these mistakes to tear down the press and he's doing it in very cynical calculation so that people won't know what to believe. And I think that's what's disturbing about the whistleblower story in Ukraine. People just won't know what to believe. I see they're confused by the story and it's up to all of us to try to help them be less confused to try to cut through the fog and explain what's actually happening. Brian Stelter, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Brian will have much more on this topic and others tomorrow, so make sure to catch Reliable Sources Sunday at 11 Eastern. Okay, there are pollsters who think the president's support is underrepresented in the polls. Should Democrats be worried? Seventeen Democratic candidates flocked to Iowa today for the steak fry, among them Senator Elizabeth Warren, Here she is reacting to the Trump whistleblower controversy. Donald Trump has made clear that he does not respect the rule of law. Congress has one responsibility on this, and that is to initiate This is about Donald Trump and his belief that he is above the law. He is not, and it's up to Congress to hold him accountable. She's feeling pretty confident about her campaign right now, and with good reason. Warren is consistently pulling in second place behind Biden and has emerged as the leading second-choice candidate. New numbers suggest her support is rising among African-American voters. That's a key Biden block. In head-to-head matchups, she's routinely beating Trump now. The latest from Fox News has her up by six points. But after the polling surprises we all saw in recent presidential elections— particularly the 2016 cycle. Pollsters warn we may be over-indexing Warren and under-indexing Trump. Here to discuss our Democratic strategist, Maria Cardona, Republican strategist, Evan Siegfried. Maria, the polls are snapshots, Mm -hmm. and no one poll certainly should tell the story today. Absolutely. Uh, But they can also send some warning signals. Mm -hmm. And Warren is climbing, Mm -hmm. but support for her is softer when it comes to her electability. Mm -hmm. She's also relatively weak among white non-college working working class voters in her own state, which might be a bad omen Mm -hmm. in important states um, in the Midwest. Sure. Is she doing as well as it seems? Or should she be monitoring some weaknesses? I think she should be uh, moderating or looking at the weaknesses. I think she should also assume she's not doing as well as the polls. That's always a better place to be than to assume you're doing great and take things for granted. Because Mm -hmm. that is where you're going to get into a lot of trouble. The good thing is that it is still very early. You know, one thing you said in the intro I think is critical. She is rising among African-American voters. And if you recall at the very beginning, that's where everybody was saying, oh, she doesn't have have any. She can't get it. So exactly. Right. She can't get it. Yeah. And look at what she's doing. Mm-hmm. So while they should always take this with a grain of salt and make sure that they are not taking anything for granted, what you do look at is not one poll or two polls, but you look Movement. at the trend. Yeah, and right. her trend is exactly what you want to be right now. So Evan, on the other side, Trump's polls aren't great. However, his job approval rating this week, according to a Real Clear Politics average, 
is just a shade less than a point higher than Obama's at this time in his presidency. Um, And some pollsters say respondents are still reluctant to admit their support for Trump. Could he be doing better than his opponents think? Well, I think some pollsters right now are actually just trying to protect themselves because in 2016, nationally, they got it right. But when you get to the state level and local level, they got it completely wrong and they didn't see the Trump win coming. But what I've seen a lot of in 2017, we started to go and take the polls and we look at data from voter registrations and different little elections in the local levels yeah. and at the statewide. And then in 2018, at the same thing, we saw voter registration surge and then polls shaped up and showed what they're showing today. Yeah. Look at the economy. We saw, see people acknowledging overwhelmingly that this is a great economy. Right. But when you ask the question, are you better off than you were a year ago financially? Two thirds of the American people say they are either the same or worse off. And that's really bad if you're mm. Donald Trump because it's like uh, the economy is like a party that you are hearing about but yeah. not invited to. Maria, I, I get concerned because I've covered a number of these presidential mm-hmm. elections now, and polls can actually move a narrative yeah. for those of us covering it. And, like, we, like these are the tools we have. Right. I mean, you know, we have these polls. We use them to tell a story. Exactly. There's not more we can do. But sometimes do you think they're driving a story and they're a little yes. too important? Yes, I could not agree with that yeah. more. Yes, 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 underscore. Which is why I think it's important for a campaign to do to, to look at what's going on on the ground in the states that matter with the voters that they know they have to get. And kind of tune this out? or it, Well, not, not tune it out, because it's, it, polls, it, it also doesn't mean that polls are unnecessary. Again, they tell a long-term story, right? You want to look at the trends of what yeah. polls are, are talking about. But I think where what happened in 2016, I think we're all kind of still burnt by that, it is still smart for campaigns to look at what they still need to do, to not let the polls drive the narrative if they feel like they are going in the right direction. And I'll right. use again Elizabeth Warren as, as an example. Yeah, she, early on, she seemed to know something that we didn't. Yes, right? exactly. And, and yeah. not only that, but the people who see her seem to have a completely change of mind if they go into it so there's something about with the narrative that they've heard on television. Do you know what I mean? Right? It does turn when you see her in person. And that is a critically important aspect of her campaign. Well, Evan, and just real, real quick before, before we go, um, polls can also mean you don't get into the next debate. That seems... Uh, maybe to have a little outsized influence on on our political process. Yes, it absolutely uh, does have an influence on it. But also, I think the voters have an influence on it. Well, you can see mm. it at the rallies. Well, if you saw it with Bill de Blasio, there were nobody showing up to his, and he didn't get into the last debate, and right. obviously he dropped out. And But you're seeing Cory Booker. He's struggling right now. Yes. He is in the next uh, debate, yep. but it's tough. All right, well, you two stay right there, because we're going to come back to you and talk about some other things, some shakeups in the Democratic field. Uh, Joe Biden, though, says the president is targeting him with false accusations because he knows, quote, he'll beat him like a drum. That's colorful. Next. In the red file tonight, an indignant Joe Biden. He arrived in Des Moines, Iowa, to a swarm of press and supporters and lashed out at the president over the Ukraine story. Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader? 
trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened. That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. That was a lot of pointing in reporters' faces. He is unquestionably angry, but is he also in peril? With me now is Democratic strategist Scott Molhauser, who served as Biden's former deputy chief of staff. Now, Scott, um, you know, this story could could revitalize Biden. I know he's ahead in the polls, but he's suffered from a couple, uh, more than a couple gaffes. He looked like he had that fire again today in Iowa, but I think some worry it could also maybe injure him. As one pollster at Monmouth University told Politico, he certainly doesn't want to talk about this, his family. Your thoughts on how Biden should handle this new fight with Trump? I mean, for starters, it's just an awful day and an awful news cycle for the president. And that's that sort of let's start yeah. there. I mean, it just just sort of American voters like to pick their presidents from campaign rallies like the one you just saw and and and, and steak fries and the rest. And just what we've seen is pretty remarkable. And I think the president seeing the vice president, a half dozen, other, half dozen other candidates beating him in poll after poll, state after state, and it's it's clearly leaving the president reeling, and that that's what... No, I understand. We've from. talked about the president. I want to talk about Biden, yeah, because sure. you know Biden. How should he... You know, he was angry there. I mean, I was watching that and flinched a couple of times at how sure. aggressively he was pointing yeah. his fingers at, at the press, um, which is an interesting tactic. Um, sure. How do you think he should be responding to this? Like that, sure. or in a different way? Sure. I think... Look, I think it's, it's clear, you know, it's... It, it, it became personal, but I think it's also a statement. I think he's looking at what it says about what the president thinks of our democracy and what he thinks about the uh, the office of the uh, and the White House. And I think he's clearly decided um, that enough is enough. And I think for a guy who's ahead in the polls and had a real enduring appeal, this this is just sort of further energized him. And I think you're seeing it. I think you saw it today. And I think he's fired up and he's he's happy to let the voters and 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 candidly the American public and the rest of the world know it. Good for him. How far do you think he wants to go, though, in in this story? Because, you know, in, uh, some could argue the further he wades into the, the business angle, the family angle, could open some other doors that he probably doesn't want opened. That's fair. Look, it's, you know, it's probably not his favorite topic to talk about, yeah. but it does put him on a stage with the president one-on-one. It, it not only sort of takes the other candidates out of the equation for, for this new cycle and clearly the days to come, um, but it also shows... The president's worried about him more than a year out. Yeah, and that's I think, a good point. Yeah, and I think the headlines become, you know, the two of them back and forth, and, and, and it, it elevates, it further elevates the vice president and makes it sort of a, a tete-a-tete contest, and I think that that's a fight that, you know, puts them on the same stage and leaves the others behind. Yeah. Um, you know, for those of us who hate how divisive politics has gotten, Biden's overtures to Republicans, even Republicans who are no longer in office, um, you know, may sound good to some of us, but it's been considered downright treasonous to some progressives. Do you think Biden gets where the party, his party is at right now? So it's actually fascinating. Uh, our firm, Bully Pulpit, has a campaign tracker that tracks every single dollar online and where they're spent and how they're spent. And 
And what's remarkable is across candidacies, across demographic groups, candidates are all looking at voters the same way. They're all spending to try to hit traditional Democratic constituents, in particular female voters in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, you know, he, he may rhetorically or be perceived in a different way, but the dollars and where the campaigns are actually going is actually remarkably similar across campaign and across candidacy, which I think is pretty fascinating. Hmm. It is. Uh, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Vice President Biden, Scott Mulhauser, you got to come back and, and uh, join us again. Thanks so much. Thanks, Essie. Okay, just over an hour from now, we'll have the latest numbers from Iowa. For some, that's good news. For others, the writing may be on the wall. Stick around. So goes Iowa, so goes the nation. Not usually. Since 1976, only three candidates who won the Iowa caucus on either side of the aisle went on to win the presidency. Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. But many more who have won the first in the nation caucus have gone on to win their nominations. So how important is it? Depends on who you're talking about. My panel is back with me, Democratic strategist Maria Cardona, Republican strategist Evan Siegfried. Maria, the candidates have spent enormous amounts of money <laughs> on Iowa. Mm -hmm. Cory Booker and Kamala Harris have among the largest staffs in Iowa. Just this week, a reporter overheard Kamala Harris say to Maisie Hirono, I am effing moving to Iowa in October. <laughs> um, okay. How important is that state for Kamala Harris? I think for her, it's very important. Right. And I think the importance depends on where you are in your campaign vis-a-vis -vis your other competitors as you go into Iowa, right? If you are one of the top tier candidates, perhaps Iowa isn't that important because you have other options. Mm. You have other paths, right? If you are at the bottom and you don't make a showing in Iowa, then pretty much a lot of people are going to assume that's the end of your campaign. But she'll have South Carolina. So, yes, she will. So Where she could do well. Correct. Okay. But I think if she doesn't show in Iowa, her... The, the the reason for her going into exactly to yeah. South Carolina, so, people are going to say, well, maybe not so much. Evan, does Elizabeth Warren need a good showing in Iowa? Because as I see it, she likely won't win New Hampshire. Um, she's not polling very well there. Um, or South Carolina, I think, is a long shot for her. Um, so isn't that kind of an important spot for her? Well, Warren's banking on a strong showing in Iowa, hopefully something with the bleed over from Massachusetts into New Hampshire because of the yeah, market right. there. No. And <laughs> then to go into Nevada and really go out right, full with force. Union voters. She has been organizing on the ground there in a way that is very impressive. Mm. And I think she really is... We say it's a three-person race. I think right now the top tier isn't Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I think he's below that. I think it's Joe Biden. Well, let's talk about Bernie, um, Maria. Hillary Clinton narrowly, narrowly mm -hmm. defeated him in Iowa. 49.8 mm -hmm. um, to 49.6. Mm -hmm. That means he almost won mm -hmm. the Iowa caucus. Can he win big there again this time? Will voters want to give him that sort of take-home trophy. It, clearly, that's what he's hoping for. But again, we're looking at the polls and in terms of trends, he's not trending in the right way. Yeah. What we're seeing is that Elizabeth Warren is actually the one who's taking a lot of the support from where his voters were before yeah. and that she's the one who's really speaking and mobilizing them the way that he should be. So, you know, yeah, he should be one to have a top showing in Iowa, but he very well may not. And that's not going to bode well for his campaign. Well, and to Maria's on. point, if you're, if you're polling very well, if you're the front runner like Joe Biden, 
maybe you don't have to win mm-hmm. Iowa. Is that what he's kind of banking? Iowa maybe matters, but there will be other opportunities for him? Joe Biden has said his firewall is South Carolina because mm-hmm. of his strength with African-American voters. But we've seen Elizabeth Warren starting to peel away a little bit. Yeah. And if Warren peels away a certain percentage of those voters away from Joe Biden, does well in uh, Iowa, maybe has an OK showing in New Hampshire yeah. and then does well in Nevada, she is the, uh, going to be the presumptive nominee. OK, Evan and Maria, stay right there. We will be back with more questions for my panel on the other side. Well, the cover of the New York Post said it all. The short-lived, ill-fated presidential campaign of New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and our long national nightmare is over at last. May his campaign rest in peace. My panel is back. Um, Evan, the Post attributed his demise to, quote, ego-induced psychosis. Was that his problem? I think the DSM-5 says that was one of his many problems. <laughs> you know, I'm one of the, sa- the people who's very sad by Bill de Blasio leaving the presidential Because he race. was entertaining? Yes. Okay. Where am I going to get my schadenfreude from? <laughs> this is a mayor who is so unlikable that a groundhog rather chose to leap to its doom. <laughs> Then spend time with him. Wow. But if you examine de Blasio's record, he had no business being president or running for president of the United States. Oh, I know. Because he has provided over an expansion of a homelessness crisis that is beyond among, the among more many inequality, other ills. more yeah. a rise in hate crimes uh, and anti-Semitism here. And most importantly, this guy escaped a federal corruption indictment by the skin of his teeth. Um, so R.I.P. R.I.P. Bill de Blasio's campaign. Maria, um, Cory Booker's campaign sent a memo to staff and supporters like begging for fundraising, saying we essentially have 10 days to turn this around. True or hype? I think it's probably true. Hmm. And I think what that says, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, they see it two ways. There are people who like his honesty Hmm. and frankly want to help him and they will go and give money, which is exactly what he wants. Yeah. And then there are people who are like, well... If I really wanted to give you a chance, you're telling me that this is now, that this do or die? That's kind of a loser type of message, so Uh I'm not quite sure that I want to give you money. So it's a risk, but I don't know if he had anything else really up his sleeve. Uh So he is the guy of honesty. He's the guy, you know, that's promoting love, and some people love that message. I don't know if it's going to be enough to keep him alive. I, it's not up to me. I think it's up to the voters. And this is why we have primaries. And so, you know, right now. Well, this is a conversation we will continue to have over the coming weeks, months. Maria Evan, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Okay, Van Jones is next. He is one-on-one with presidential hopeful Andrew Yang. They'll discuss how the unconventional candidate is finding such enthusiastic support. That's next right here on CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.